I got chatting to the guy sitting next to me at my Level 2 Wine and Spirit Education Trust class. The place you go when you want to learn about the ins and outs of distillation and the history of some of your favorite spirits. As you do, I sparked up a conversation with the Italian by asking him what he did. And then he said, I'm a bartender at the Connaught Hotel. And at that moment, I knew we would be friends. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by everyone in this industry. Yes, that fateful day about three years ago, I met Giorgio Bargiani, now head of mixology at one of the most famous bars in the world, the Connaught Bar in London. We've remained friends ever since, and I have longed to have him on the show to learn a little more about my fellow student, who I found out began his career by polishing plates. Before we begin, you can find links on how to donate to some of your favorite bars during this rough time on the homepage of my website, alushlifemanual.com. Now to Giorgio, who I am sure you will realize very quickly is sitting in his garden. So I'm from Pisa, a very small city in the art of Tuscany, very famous worldwide for a tower built in the wrong way. But, you know, that tower has been our luck for the last, I don't know how many hundred years, because people want to see Pisa. And it's a very touristic city. And, and that's really part of, of my beginning, of my uh, background, because my family has always been in um, in restaurants and and shops in general. Like my father always had most of uh, their life, they had restaurants in my city, and my mother family had a parfum shop. So flavor, parfum, uh, food, and drinks they always been part of of me of my background. Um, I'm not from uh, like a very uh, complicated background. I mean, uh, my family is uh, very easy people and they still are and, and, and that's the beauty of them. Um, but always being very good dealing with people. Th- that's, um, that's what make my main background, you know, uh, socializing. What, was it just assumed that you would go into hospitality because of uh, your parents having restaurants? Uh, not really, because when I was very young, I was very good at school. Like, until high school, I was studying a lot. I wanted to study a lot. I think I changed my mind when I was 15, 16, something like that. I started to, to move, on, of, move back somehow to my roots. What kind of things were you studying? Like, what were you good at at school that you thought you might pursue before leaving? I was I was very good writing, uh, writing, presenting. I was good with languages. I mean, I think most of the English that I know now in terms of grammars, I studied at the primary, secondary, and high school. And what do you think it was about hospitality that drew you back in? I mean... Hospitality, again, was very much part of my life because every day we were welcoming people. My family was welcoming people. My uh, my uncle and aunt, they had a restaurant from since the year I was born. My grandfather opened his own restaurant in the 1950 or 1960. 
so it's, it's a very long story and um as much as my my father family were very much into restaurant my mother family was even into helping people and inviting people in in their house so was was not charity but i remember my grandfather helping random people so open his doors to whoever was needed to help so it's hospitality for me it's not really i don't remember it and i don't think it as complex uh things complex service but more taking care of people that's a main uh memory that i have and that's why probably i came back to it so when you were 15 or 16 and you yeah. decided you didn't want to start so much what did you decide yeah. to do so it was was pretty random or casual that uh thanks to some friends i went for a summer season in uh, uh in, in the isola delba which is a very small island very close to tuscany and actually wasn't really a season it's supposed to be two weeks holiday that these friends they were managing a nightclub there they invite me to oh, Giorgio, we have a spare bed come you are our guest for two weeks but so i left i brought my scooter there i brought some money and my uh, swim uh, some, like uh, outwear and swimwear whatever but the two weeks they became two months and, and what, do you, you know, what, what were you doing while you were there? So at the beginning, I just meant to uh, help a bit with the parties they were doing in that club, like clock room or maybe just uh, sponsorizing it, giving tickets and stuff. But suddenly I finished working behind the bar and behind the bar uh, very little, like helping with ice and like a barbecue job and uh, at the table, serving at the table. So that was my first job outside my family business. So the first time I really touch uh, a drink in, in the sense that I might know now, you know? Um, and that was really a life-changing experience because as well, at the time I was 16, I didn't really mean to work, but let's, let's keep that. <laughs> um, I was 16 and uh, the people with the age closer to mine was 23 or 24. So I was really a kid compared yeah. to all of them. And most of them, they, re they were even older. So it was really, I mean, nothing bad happened to me, don't get me wrong, but it was incredible. And I learned so much, not just in terms of, actually, in terms of drink, I didn't learn much. I, I learned much more in terms of how to deal with people, how to connect with people, how to uh, share such such an experience and when i came back that's when i say okay uh, i love working nightclubs i have fun I, I make money out of it so i finish my high school and then i start working and did you in start nightclub. working in pisa yes yes my first job was in pisa with the same people that they brought me to isola del but they at the time had a club in pisa where i started as a waiter and in, let's say, a couple of years, the owner gave me trust and made me, uh, I don't want to say manager, but because in Italy it's very different from here, but 
sort of manager. I was dealing with the supplier, I was dealing with the staff, and I was coordinating the the the, the evenings, the the main nights that we were doing. You were and super was, young. Yeah, at the time I was twenty, twenty one, twenty two, something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And did you then think this is what I want my my life to be? I mean, were you getting those ideas? So probably because I was very young and the, the world of nightclubs is very shiny, it's very glittering. So you think, wow, that's super cool. That's what I want to do. But with the time and with the meeting of my now, unfortunately, ex-girlfriend, I start to think in a different way. Even though I was growing in nightclubs and I was doing more and more, the life that you have in nightclub make you think a lot and make you prioritize things. I knew that I was loving dealing with people and, you know, like taking care of people and doing drinks and, and especially, you know, try and taste uh expensive things and food and uh, champagne and everything i i felt that there wasn't the right way to progress and to make a career out of it that's why suddenly i changed mm -hmm. and did you know what you wanted to change to i didn't and i did in a way that i knew that i couldn't do that for the rest of my life I knew that there were more professional ways of making my job. I wasn't really aware of which was the one I should follow because I could easily come back to my family business and be part of it and suddenly mm -hmm. get a share or open a new place together with my family. You know, the option, there were few in my city. But they, those years, we're talking about 2011, 12, were the one where where uh, social media were blooming were growing you know like facebook was already quite well established but instagram was probably at the beginning yeah very right, very new yeah yeah super um, new youtube was was widely used not as today but still was, was big for the time and thanks to this this platform i got to see uh the world uh -huh. what, what was going on in the world what do you think you were searching then like what were you searching different bartenders different bars uh, so the fact is that at, at the time i was working in forte de marmi which is uh, the north part of tuscany a very posh area you know um where uh, again we were working in nightclubs at the volume and at the speed of a nightclub without taking much care about the product we were delivering and when I say product, usually these days when I talk about product, I talk about the old thing. At the time, for me, the product was the glass and what was inside the glass and the bottle we were giving. Yeah, then music and environment and everything else was the duty of, of the PR people, of mm -hmm. the manager of the club, no, no ours. These days for me, product is much more wide, is a much more wide thing. But um, I wasn't looking for certain bartender because honestly I didn't know is when uh, I went to Bologna for a, for a cocktail training, cocktail masterclass. I met some people that these days are still my friends, 
Daniele Dalla Pola that lives in Miami, uh, Gianni Zottola, which I met many years before in Isola Delva, and um, Federico and Giovanni, which are the owners of a, a bartending school called Dream Factory in Bologna. So thanks to them, I saw for the first time people like Ago, Ago Perrone, Salvatore Calabrese, uh, Simone Caporale, people that for me are still heroes, are still legends, but uh, they are part of my daily life now, you know, especially Ago. <laughs> um, so when I came back after a couple of trainings I did in Bologna, I went for a meeting with uh, the gentleman that at that time was my director in the club in Forte de Marmi. <laughs> and it's funny how I have a meeting with him next week because uh, now he's, he's managing the Starbucks uh, roster in Milan. But, you know, that's a long story. I don't want to lose myself in there. So I went to this gentleman. His name is Leone. And I say, Leone, um, I, I knew, I heard that he was, he had a hotel background, five-star hotel background. And researching about Simone and uh, Ago and Salvatore, I found out they were all working in five-star hotels. Right, five-star hotels in London. Exactly. Yeah. And, and funny enough, London has always been my dream when, since when I was even younger than 15 because I've been to London many times. Like before I moved, probably 10, 12 times. Oh. The fact is that, especially when I was very young, I wanted to move to London at some point. I didn't know to do what. I just, I was just in love with London, with the speed of the city, with the, the opportunities that you have. In fact, when I finished high school uh, and I was 19, I, I came to London for a whole month before university because I planned to move. But again, I didn't really know what to do. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't speak English, of course. I still don't, but at the time I didn't at all. <laughs> And um, so after a month, I came back and, and I went to university. But the, um, this gentleman, Leone, when, when I had this meeting with him, I said, listen, uh, Leone, I, I saw these bartenders and their bars, and I'm very fascinating. And most likely, I would like to move to London to work in their places. And Leone was, is, is a very, uh, how do you say, like, not skeptical, but is, is very clinical when he talks. It's very uh, uh, rational, very, like, straight to the point. I say, okay, Giorgio, I don't personally know this gentleman. I don't, pr probably he, he knew Salvatore, but he didn't uh, know Ago and, and Simone. I say, what I can tell you about them, as you already researched, they are working hotel bars. So bars inside the hotel. So as I have a hotel background, I can tell you that before you learn how to work in a hotel bar, you need to work, you need to able to work in an hotel. Yeah. Because now I can see, you know, in your job, you're very confident, you know, like nothing can stop you, you know, long hours or whatever, but that is different. The pressure that you get is much more psychological rather than mm. physical. And, and standards are higher and knowledge you must have is much more. 
so I said, what's the problem? I'm young. I can do that. You know, I'm sure, you know, as I'm good, as I'm pretty good now here, uh, there won't be a big deal. So he told me, I'm very happy to recommend you to who was my mentor when I started. And like two days after, no, no more than that, I received a call from Portofino where uh, Mr. Santo Yosa, who I speak with last week, uh, <laughs> was waiting for me for uh, an interview in February. Uh, the place where I, I then moved to work and when Mr. Santo still uh, work is, is an hotel called uh, Splendido in the harbor of Portofino and is a seasonal hotel. So open in March, April, and close October, November. So I went in February to Portofino to do this interview with Santo. And he asked me many things, but was very calm, was, was very different from all the people I met in my career so far. And he asked me, what do you want to do for your, you know, in your future? Which are your expectations from this job? Uh, what do you think you're going to do? Or, and I think I knew the answer. But in reality, I didn't know uh-huh. <laughs> because when I then they asked me to come to to Venice, the same probably the following month or the same month for a week training, I was like, "What? What is that?" So because Splendido is part of a now is part of LVMH at the time was called Orient Express Company, where. Uh, the Cipriani Hotel in right. In I was going to say the Cipriani. I know the Splendido well, uh-huh. yeah. and I know the Cipriani well. Yes. Yeah. So, so you had, gosh, trial by fire, a week at the Cipriani. Yeah, I was staying in a room, you know, like oh. yeah, because <laughs> while we were training for for restaurant, because the job I got was uh, commi, like like runner or like the the basic um, front of house restaurant job that you can get, and. So they sent me a week doing intensive training every day, like eight to 10 hours training a day, where, for instance, when we were doing a role play of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, there was someone filming us. And then in the classroom, we were looking at the, at the videos to see our mistakes, for instance. Then we were doing wine training, posture training, uh, emotional intelligent training some some things i even never heard about what did you think that first week were you excited or yeah, I was, like blown I, out of the water <laughs> so the fact is i was looking for knowledge i was looking for training i was looking for technical aspects that they were the one i was missing the most you know mm-hmm. i was i was funny as people might think i still am um, i was engaging i was talking to everyone i was very social but i didn't have much knowledge about spirit about wine about service so that week for me was like a year of university you know i learned so much i saw i i, I encountered stuff like uh um, quality assurance or uh, standard that never ever about before you know timings or on how long it should take to say hello to someone or to greet someone and and that really blew my mind but the season then started like two months after when I really, you know, all my 
um, confidence was killed. You know? oh, no. like, uh, I didn't know how to do anything. I really didn't know how to put a plate on a table, how to put a tablecloth, how to serve a coffee. Or most important, I I didn't know how to talk to people in a five star way. Oh, so interesting. And and funny enough that my first trainer at the time was uh, my chef de rang, and his name is uh, Matteo Baccanelli, who is actually in the room next to mine because it's my <laughs> flatmate and after you know almost eight years we're still friends and we're still sharing this this adventure together so i did the first season the first month was extremely tough the second month was tough then i'll say the third month was was okay uh, but the third month was august so the most intense of the season um so at the end of the season, went pretty well. They gave me even a little uh, recognition as as employee of the of the season, which unfortunately I, I never managed to get the, the prize because I was traveling and the prize was Ita- Italy based. So um, after that, uh, Mr. Santo took me one of my last day, and he told me, Giorgio. When we first met, you told me that you wanted to travel, to learn more and more, and ideally travel to the UK. I said London, but he twisted on UK, and <laughs> he, he he offered me a job in a, one of the at the time again Orient Express property. These days is Belmont by LVMH. Um, that is called Le Manoir Quatre Saisons. There is a two Michelin star restaurant with 32, 31, 32 rooms in the countryside of Oxford. In yes, Italy. one of the most famous restaurants in yeah, the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, one, uh, so with like, uh, it's an incredible place. And they offered me the job for coming again. So the same position. And, you know, after a, let's say, quite successful pre- first season in a hotel restaurant, I, did, I didn't want to say that I was confident, but much better than before. And but you want employee of the, uh, of yeah, the yeah, year, yeah. right? <laughs> I even won uh, this little award. So even wasn't just myself and my confidence mm. coming back, but, you know, they were pumping me a bit. So when I got there... Uh, <laughs> you thought you knew what you were doing. It wasn't that easy. <laughs> So I what, was it? Wait, I have a question. Was it the le, because it was a two mission star restaurant and hotel? Do you think that's a, what made it was, was a little different? No, it was a miss. That that's for sure wasn't one of the points yeah. because as much as I never worked with standard before, I I moved from five star standard of Portofino to five star plus two Michelin star standard Le Manoir. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, at least. In Portofino, I was understanding what they were saying to me. Oh, of course, and I totally forgot. <laughs> I didn't understand what they were saying to me. Especially How was your English? How was it? I mean, as I said, I think Grammarly, even though I still make mistakes while I talk, but while, while I write, Grammarly, I'm quite good. 
listening and of course pronunciation wasn't great so i struggled big time for the first month and the struggle was was big and real because i didn't understand what they're telling me and if i understood i didn't know anyway you know like uh, okay if they tell you you know put a, a chair under the table I'll, I'll get it and i'll do it but if they then told me uh, brush the chair what does it mean you know i, I get the the meaning but how do i brush a chair so there right. was a special brush to to brush the chair in a certain way but you know i didn't know so i had two things i have to ask things at least twice every time were you thinking this whole time i really just want to be behind a bar i don't want to brush a chair was that part that, of it as that, well? That was the point. You know, like sometimes I related this to Karate Kid, no? Uh, I, I don't know if you've seen <laughs> the movies. A very stupid things. My my son very stupid, but you know, like in, in the movie Karate Kid, uh, he, during his training, is like painting uh, wood and cleaning cards and say, why I do this? And and mm. somehow was, was my point. Why do I need to know how to polish a plate? Why do I need to know how to brush a chair, you know? For me, it was pointless. I want to make cocktails, you know? I, but the, the funny thing, one of the details I remember, I always tell, I always tell to everyone, and and is this detail is really part of my life. So at Le Manoir, you have a six weeks shadowing training program, which is, I don't want to say mental, doesn't sound nice, uh, is intense. <laughs> Mental in the best way. No, no, definitely one of the best training I had in my life. I imagine Mm -hmm. for six weeks, you have someone on your shoulder telling you everything you should do and you shouldn't do several times during a day. In a different language. Exactly. With (laughs) a very different accent because most of the people in Manoir are French. All right. Of course, that too. So I didn't know English and especially I didn't know English with a French accent. So, um, my f- very first day, my training, my trainer, my the person that was shadowing me was a girl, French girl. Her name is Karen. The, at the end of the lunch service, show me how to polish plate. How to polish a plate that wasn't even used for food. It was a presentation plate. You know, when you sit down and there is a plate mm-hmm. on the table, but you don't eat on that. So there was a signature plate designed by Richard Ginori for Ovilera Bosch. I don't remember. I don't want to say. I mean, I don't no. want to tell anyone. Was a, was a signature place of Raymond Blanc, a plate of uh, Raymond Blanc that everyone was very fascinated about. So uh, as commies, we had to polish it every day. And we are talking about 80 to 100 cover for lunch and 60, 70 to 80. 90 cover for dinner so a lot of plates so what i did i start polishing in the way i thought was was good and she was checking all each and everyone and send them back <gasps> that's not right that's not right and i was asking what's wrong i couldn't see what was the problem and she in a very very french english <laughs> look there are fingerprints in the air 
fingerprints. What are finger- I didn't even know what fingerprint means, probably. But I said, no, I, I don't see anything. The, the, the plate is clean. So, no, no, do it again, do it again, do it again. And, and she really scared me, you know, it was like one hour, two hour polishing plates, like not tomorrow. And I didn't get why I was doing this and, you know, what, what was the point? But long story short, last year, this girl asked me to bring her to his, to her husband for her wedding. <laughs> so, you know, like sometimes you meet people and the perception of them change because she was giving me very hard times, but she was doing it in a way that wasn't soft, but was, was true, was real. She wanted me to improve. Of and course. Then, and now we are, is definitely one of my best friends. But anyway, so Le Manoir from being extremely tough, extremely challenging. I remember the night of that day I was polishing plate. I came back to my very, very small room. Uh, where I, I didn't even have a wardrobe, to give you an idea. Uh, I came back there and I said, what do I do? You know, at the time I had the girlfriend, the girlfriend was in Italy, you know, I was alone, I didn't have any friends. The the village of Le Manoir is so small that there is only one pub and one post office, and there is a bus every hour until seven, so I couldn't go anywhere for dinner or to relax somewhere no? because the pub was closed early. So, and most of the time I was working. So for me, it was like very tough, but I couldn't give up at that point. I was basically at the beginning. So I had to do at least the time I was meant to be there, which was until the following season in Portofino. When I, when, when I left the Manoir, I must say that I was sad. Mm-hmm. I, I understood how much I learned, the people I met, they still I'm I'm seeing these days, you know? So for me, I had knowledge, I had technical skills, but I had friends. I I really, you know, I enriched my person before my uh, professional side, you know, my personal side. You all had to do it together. Yes, it was hard for everyone. It wasn't hard just for me, you know, Uh because what, you know, the standards there are very high, and that's why the place is incredible. And the experience that you have here, there is, is unique. But anyway, managed to come back to Portofino. But when, when I came back, I realized straight away that already was not boring, but, you know, was coming back. was really going back and slowing down and doing in a in a more relaxed, somehow way. Even though that, that summer I tried to implement what I learned in, uh, in the uh, Le Manoir, in the Oxfordshire, to implement the standard and the way of working in Portofino, even though I was still a commie. So I wasn't a manager. You know, I, I didn't come back as a manager. I came back as a commie. But I said, I learned this, this, and that. We should do this. We should. And they were even listening to me. But, you know, at the, at the, at the same time, the two realities were very different. You know, in Portofino, we were a team of 15. At Le Manoir, we were a team of 60. So, oh you know, it was a huge difference. Yeah, huge. The possibilities were very different, you know. But anyway. Um, so what do you think what, drove you to look? Uh, no, obviously that drove you to look for something new. And where yeah, did you yeah, think yeah. your next step would be? So at this stage, I said, okay, at the end of this summer, I will go to London doesn't matter what 
I will find a job. You know, I have some skills. At this at this stage, I had some connection in the UK at Le Manoir, not in London, but I I realized I realize now more than ever that Le Manoir is very solid in the UK and so solid that London recognizes Le Manoir for what they do. Oh, so, of course. you know, these days I still see my manager at the time because I'm very well known and respected in London. So I said, okay, I, I will find a job, you know. And at this stage, I wanted to bring my girlfriend with me. I said, you come with me, you know, she, she was just graduated as a nurse. So, you know, we will go together. We will find uh, the America. <laughs> we will find, you know, our future. But uh, I didn't add, have a place or, you know, like a bar or someone really uh, I, I could go to or speak to. Was it was it that you wanted to definitely be in bars? Yeah, at that stage, yes. At this mm -hmm. stage, I wanted to be in bars. And, and the bars I wanted to be, I knew which one they were. The Connaught Bar. <laughs> of course. The Artesian Bar. Mm -hmm. uh, the American Bar of Savoy. Or uh, Niger at the time was very fascinating for me. Even though it was an hotel bar, but still, you know, I think I thought I could learn a lot. So was the season, was very, very busy. Was high season, was beginning of August, end of July when I received a call from a very good friend of mine that I was always in touch, wasn't really out of the blue, you know? We were, we were talking to each other throughout the last, the previous two years, two, three years, because we were working together, we were working together in Forte de Marmi, in the nightclub. He was a flair bartender, and in, in that nightclub, I was working at the tables. I was serving bottles of champagne and stuff. And he left Italy before me. He went to, to London as sommelier, actually, as commis sommelier. And his first job was at the Dorchester. But the day he called me, he told me that from the Dorchester, he moved to the Connaught. And when I heard that, I said, wow, so you work with Ago Perrone? But yes, I do, but he, work, he works in a bar, in the, in the Connor bar. And I work in, in Elenda Rose, which is the, our two Michelin star restaurant as Commis Sommelier. So, you know, it was, was just at the beginning. The name of this, this gentleman is, is Daniel Manetti. Daniel, today, covered the position of uh, wine director of the Connor Hotel. So he's in charge of all the wine that we receive and we sell and that we have. And that day, man, uh, Daniel told me, Giorgio, Giorgio, there is a position as a casual bar back at the Connaught. I say, what are you waiting for? You know, what, yeah, come now, come now. Yeah, you know, like, uh, <laughs> he told me, that's the opportunity you were looking for for a long time. And, you didn't even look for it. Yeah. It, it just arrived. You know, like, I felt like, you know, like, when you take a direction and you and you push hard in that direction, things at some point they are coming. You don't really need to look for it, no? I, I never applied for a job myself. I never did the research myself. I received an offer. It's it's crazy, crazy. Well, obviously we yeah. know you got the job. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> but you know, it was funny the way it went because I was 
in Portofino. And I said, okay, tell them I'll be there in a month. Because it was beginning like, no of August. They told me, no way, you know. It'll be gone well, in two minutes. You know, like, yeah. it's one of the most desirable jobs in the body industry, you know. And I said, yeah, but I, I, I know I, I want to be correct. I want to be fair. I don't want to go to Mr. Santos and say, ciao, I'm leaving. And and honestly, I wasn't even sure they were taking me, you know. Right. There was a position open, but, you know, at the end of the day, I had to, and I had to go through three or four interviews that I did. And again, yeah, I could speak English better than the year before, but I wasn't, you know, like I spent six months in the UK. I haven't been living there for 10 years. So Thank God they're all Italian. Yeah. Gone, uh, all right. Yeah, at the time less than now, but still. So they told me, if you want the job, you need to come next week for an interview. Next week was the 8th of August, 2014. Oh the peak of the peak of the summer season. And funny enough, the 8th of August is the birthday of the Econo Bar. The Econo yes. Bar opened its door the 8th, 8th, 2008, six years after I was showing up to do an interview. So I went to Mr. Santo and said, Santo, I need to go to London next week. Can you give me a couple of days of holiday? He's what? like, no way. Huh? <laughs> no way. So the best I can do for you, especially because you're going for, for a job interview, <laughs> is giving you your day off plus half day. So you come back the day after your day's off for dinner. And that's what he I did. He was very kind. He was very yeah, kind yeah, yeah. to do that. I mean, you know that. At, at, yeah. at, the end, at the end, they know they, what they offer is seasonal. Of so course. they don't want Santo really care about the people in their way. His people in their way. He say, you know, you need to work this winter to improve your knowledge, to, you know, right. get some money and to do your experience. And then you come back. You know, he's very, he, he was very confident that I was coming back. But right. I never came back so far. <laughs> uh, so in, in one day, uh, I went to London. I did my job interview. Now, was that job HR. interview with, was it with Ago? The first one was with HR. Okay. Then uh, I did my trash shift. It was some, something like six, seven hours of trash shift. And then the, at, at the end of it, Ago took me. For me, it was already, you know, like, I met, I, I must say, I met Ago before, but once briefly, you know, like. Okay. In my very first visit at the Conal Bar, by the way. But yeah, but for me, part of the dream was fulfilled, you know? I was, yeah. the, I spent time behind that bar. I worked with them. I saw what they were doing, you know, it was like, and I always tell this story that I was laughing like an idiot and he was looking at me like, why, why this guy is looking, he's smiling so much, you know, is he taking a piece of all of us or, and do you know, you know, on the side of the bar, we have two gates. So I was right behind me and I was passing through the gate to start my shift or, you know, to go in the back, whatever. And there was a very small piece of paper on the floor. I stop. I, I don't even remember. I'll go say the story. But I stop. I look at the piece of paper. I took it from the floor and I throw it in the bin. So he said from that moment, he realized that 
there was something good in me. Oh. And and you know that made made it made his its his mind to say okay we hire him. At the end they weren't hiring me for bar manager position. You know they could get rid of me the week after. You know it wasn't a, a big deal. But uh, I came back to Portofino, and, and by the way that night I stayed at Matteo place. My my friend that we live together now. Uh, he, he he I mean. Yeah, he, he had me in his place, and the the day after, I came back to Portofino to finish my season without an answer. Of course, I didn't know. No. You know, I was already over the moon, but I didn't know. You know, they called me back beginning of September, so quite a long time. Yeah, and they, they asked me to come back for another interview. Same procedure, you know, and I was still working for Tofino. So again, I went for one day to do. Ah, and by the way, at the end of my third shift, I did the interview with Ago. Yeah. And uh, so I went back just for like 20 minutes interview with the FMB director, which now that I'm, I'm in the job for a while, I know that is almost especially if such a position was a formality you know it didn't ask me anything major like how why you want to work here and yeah. you know like uh, what's your future you know like nothing you know challenging or so yeah another day in london day in in and out came back to portofino a few days after uh, when santo asked me you want to stay for another month? I have the opportunity for you to stay, or, or what are you going to do if Santom leaving next week? Because my contact was ending. So I, I was I was respectful, you know. I said, listen, I want, of course. I appreciate the fact that you want to renew, renew my contact, but I'm leaving. I'm off and, to the con off. Yeah. And the 16th of September 2014, I moved to London. The 18th of September, 2014, I was working on the Connell Bar. So we met at a WSET class. That must have been right when you were beginning. It's it's about three years ago. Yeah, it was two or three years after I started. Oh, it was. To me, it seems like I've known you forever. Because I think I did the class around three and a half years ago, at least. Yeah, it was 2016, probably. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, probably. Yeah. Which so, is almost yeah. four years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, or either end of 2016 or anyway, yeah. So yeah. now that you have this job and you've had it for a while um, and you can look back, um, what do you think from, because you, you worked at some wonderful hotels, Splendido, the memoir, yeah. wonderful, obviously not in the position as, uh, you know, head of mixology or even in mixology. But what do you think about, your time at the Connaught. Can you reflect on that and kind of what you've learned through these years that you've been there? So, yes. I mean, sometimes I don't, I still get very emotional. And for me, it's, it's unreal what, what, what happened in the last six years because the Connaught bar is a bar. You know, I always say that as magical as it can be, as unique as it can be, is a bar. But throughout the years, there always been a consistency in the innovation. 
but not the innovation in the way that every year we are creating something new. We are not creating, you know, the latest technique. We are consistent in what we do, adapting and changing every year. And when when I joined the Con Bar, the Con Bar wasn't a new bar, just opened, you know, no one knew about was already the Connell Bar, was already up there, was already one of the best mm-hmm. bar in the world. So, you know, even my feeling were like, okay, yes, I'm here, but I'm the last one of the last one and I wouldn't make a difference. And probably I, I don't do these days, but still at the time I was like, I'm here to learn. But after six years, I'm still learning. Because every year we look at ourselves in a critical way where we need to reinvent the way, there is always the same way that we approach our guests, that we create our drinks, that we treat our staff, that we train our staff, that we talk to the world, that we, and then with the time with I started to travel and to speak about my experience globally. And Conan Bar is unique. The Conan Hotel mm-hmm. is wonderful, but the Conan Bar has got a, a vision that has been followed from day one, 8-8-2008, and is still there, very strong, even though this, the, the only person that is there from day one is Ago. Probably that's the reason why, but we all believe in that, especially the, the old one, me, Maura, you know, we we believe in that every day and we strive for that in a genuine way. No one forces us to do what we do. But you want to be part of it. You want to feel part of it. And I'm not talking about the, the success. You, I'm talking about be there, you know, for our guests, for the people that are coming, creating them memories, creating them something they bring home with them and they remember. We're not working for the awards. We're working for the happiness of our guests every day. And all the technical skills, the knowledge uh, that I was looking for are still extremely important, but they are not what makes the Konoba what it is. Since you brought that up about the technique, um, for you as a, the growth of your bartending, um, because you you had worked at nightclubs really and done some yeah, bartending, yeah. Um, were you just like, blown away by what was being created there i mean you know about so, the or your progression of learning as from bartender to mixologist to head of mixology so is a is a i think it was a, a very seamless flow because when i was at portofino and even before when i started with bartending training in bologna and stuff i was studying things on books and I was looking at demonstration. And I thought, okay, these techniques are, are very interesting, are very cool. But I look at them like chemistry, you know? I, I, don't, I don't see that happening in Portofino or Le Manoir because mm-hmm. the main core of these two places, yeah, exceptional food, exceptional service, but there wasn't such a, such an innovation and such a, a strong attention on that. 
So I said, okay, these techniques are only for very, very geeky bartender, for very uh, nerd places. There, there won't be any hotel bar doing that. Even though, okay, at the Manoir, at the Splendor, I was looking at the restaurant, but there was the bar and they were miles away from, from that. And, and with the time, I understood that. And I embraced that because Mr. Santo, for instance, was one of the first really teaching me how smile is important, how be kind is important, how talk positive is important. Without mentioning technical skills, without mentioning technical knowledge. But when I joined the Conobar, most of the techniques I studied on books, they were there applied in the same way another bar will squeeze the lemon juice in the morning. They were naturally there. But you didn't feel like you are you were in the lab. I, I think you still don't feel when you go to the Conobar. If you read on the menu and if you ask the bartender, he will go through, I will go through the fact that we sous vide, that we distill, this, this, and that. If you don't ask, it's not necessary to ask. Mm -hmm. And you don't feel like you need to know. Because I was studying these techniques and, and they were and they are complicated. But not everyone wanna study, especially when they are in a bar. Not everyone wanna be so focused on the way we make our drinks. They just want to enjoy. That's why our martini is so successful, because it's very easy to understand. We make people smell the essences to make sure they understand the flavor without a long explanation, like smell it. You like it? You don't like it. If you <laughs> like it, go for it. You know, <laughs> it, it's very basic, but it's so fascinating and it's so accessible and make you feel very important because we put you under the spotlight in a good way, not, not like to embarrass you. We, we put you under the spotlight in a way that you are the protagonist, the drink is yours, so you you decide, you are in charge. And, and that's what makes the martini uh, so unique, with making people at their ease, not I, I think, putting them yeah. in a position where they suffer. No, absolutely. I think what's I remember uh, when I met with Ago, um, I, I, it had been a while since I had your Bloody Mary. And I, I think the Bloody Mary, you know, you see the martini happening with your wonderful yeah. Um, trolley. Uh, yeah, the trolley and all of that. But when you get something which you think of as a simple drink, like a Bloody Mary, and you are just taken somewhere so different from that and, and you, from what you what you expect. That that's when that I think is the drink that makes me the nerd because I want to know. Okay, how yeah. is this done? This was so yeah. amazing. You get the smells, you get everything that you want, but it looks completely different from what you expect. And Bloody I think Mary, that's yeah. what's Please the joy. Sorry. Yeah, what's the joy of the Connaught is it's such a a well known drink, but yet there's no way you can make this at home, really. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, and that's kind of what you want. I mean, the, the, the Bloody Mary is the best example of what I said. The, the, the way we make the air, the foam, you know, these days is still unknown to many people. Many people in the world, they look at foam as something extremely new. I, I always take my mom as example. You know, if I create a drink, will, will it be accessible for my mom? 
without knowing everything, anything about about the drink, about the techniques, just about the flavor that she will get. Because, you know, in Pisa, there is not much going on in terms of mixology. There are some friends that are doing very well, but still, you know, it's a small reality, so need to improve uh, still. But the fact is, when you, the Bloody Mary is a perfect example because you expect the Bloody Mary where in the UK many people drink Bloody Mary, so people are used to it. But when they say something without ice, in a coop, with this form, they start asking questions to themselves. And sometimes these questions are asked to us, but sometimes they're not. They just say, this Bloody Mary is amazing. That's it. You know, right. it's, it's what we want. This that recipe is 12 years old. But it, it looks so actual. I know. It's so new. Um, so just one more thing before I let you go. Um, please, please. Now, as the head of mixology, can you kind of tell me what you do day to day in that so, role? So, okay. Uh, I think my role has got some standard duties for any head mixologist in the world in terms of uh, like bar management, in terms of stock, cost, then depends some 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 parts they give it to the manager some some parts to the assistant manager but what i do you know i take care of of stock spirit uh, ingredients uh, liquors fruit everything i'm of course in charge of the menu the creation of the cocktail menu but as I think we, having Argo with us, we have a sort of special structure in, in place where, you know, Argo is the main person. Then, of course, I'm, I'm his right arm, as, as you always say. But we do create the menu as a team. I don't do drinks and I say, okay, that's a menu. You know, we do as a team. We sit down all together. We, we discuss ideas. Everyone can put an ideas in. We mainly do with the bartender and bar back teams because, they're, of course, they're the most passionate about creating drinks. Uh, still, these days, once a week, we have a meeting on Zoom and we we discuss the ideas. Of course, we can't try drinks, but that's what we do. Um, I like to be very much involved in the communication on the bar. That That's more my thing rather than my duty. Um, but yes, I always want to share, you know, like, I like, I like social media. So I like to take pictures and, and share it. I like, uh, to find a way on how to promote the bar. And that comes to the fact that I travel and while I travel, I talk about the bar. I talked about what we do. I talked about my story and, uh, yeah, but more on a daily day to day basis, for sure. I take care of people, you know? People sometimes uh, laugh about the fact that I'm always traveling and never at the bar, but at the end of the day, five days a week, I'm at the bar. So uh, I'm there uh, wait, waiting for, for our guests to make drinks, to talk to them. I must say that that is more true that lately I do less drinks. I let the young boys making the drinks and I go to tables, talk to guests or listen to feedback. So I do whatever it takes to make them happy and leave them a memorable experience. Well, I can't wait to see you back in the bar. 
Yeah, so, um, me too. I can't wait to go there. <laughs> save a Bloody Mary for me. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for yeah. having me. Of course. Okay. It would have been remiss of me to not ask him where he loved to drink around the world. You won't be surprised by his first answer. So if you had to drink anywhere else but the Connaught, of course, um, I don't know, what are your, your favorite places around the world? So I always divided the world in, in three sections. I think now I, I, I can divide it in four. Europe, there's not much choice, you know, the Connaught. Um, the U.S., will be the Nomad Bar in New York. Asia is the Manhattan Bar in Singapore. And my latest discovery is maybe Sammy talking about Australia. It was so lovely to have Georgia on my show. You can find a few of the Connor Bar's signature cocktails already on my site, alushlifemanual.com, from when I interviewed Ago Perone, the director of mixology. For this week, I asked Giorgio what he recommended for those with a little bit of time on their hands. Our cocktail of the week is Giorgio's Flight of the Negronis. To begin with, you'll need four empty bottles and a big bowl. Then start by mixing together in your very big bowl 750 mils of Sipsmith Gin, 750 mils of Martini Rubino, 750 mils of martini bitter, and 750 mils of still water. Mix those together in your very big bowl and then split those equally into four different bottles. Leave one bottle untouched for a classic Negroni. Infuse one bottle with one to two whole peels of your favorite citrus fruit for at least a week, and then start tasting it daily until it's perfect for you. Infuse one of the other bottles with two to three grams of your favorite dry spice for at least one hour, and then start tasting it hourly until you love it. Giorgio likes Szechuan pepper. And last but not least, infuse one bottle with 50 grams of your favorite fresh herbs for at least one day, and then start tasting it daily until you love that one too. Giorgio used eucalyptus. Store those in the fridge, and when they're very cold, enjoy them as you wish, with or without ice. You'll find this recipe, more classic recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find links to all the ingredients. I've been so inspired by John Krasinski's YouTube show, Some Good News. The generosity of people has been incredible. My friend Gregory Benjamin has been bringing food deliveries to my parents for at least a month. And knowing someone is watching out for them when I'm here, well, there aren't any words. If that doesn't make you want to buy his award-winning jams and marmalades, then I assure you the taste will. You can find them at preservesandmarmalades.com, and I highly recommend the Dark and Stormy Marmalade. Please support him. Thank you. If you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars you love by donating or taking part in cocktail delivery where you live. 
Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro, who is my cousin, by the way, and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. So check out his podcast, Pontifications. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly and wash your hands and stay safe. Next week, we meet another old friend who might not be a household name, but there's probably not one bar that you've gone into that wasn't designed by him. No wonder his title is Chief Experience Officer. Until that time, bottoms up.